You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Why you should love your church. Why you should love your church. Matthew 16, verse 13. Why don't we stand as... We'll read a couple of words here, verses from the Bible. And uh, I enjoy your podcast. I don't know, many of you may not even know, but the East Side has a podcast. So while I'm shaving in the morning, I'm listening to my son preach. And I've cut myself four or five times <laughs> listening to some of his, some of his funny stories. <laughs> and uh, no, but I've enjoyed it so much. It's a blessing to hear the preaching, and uh, know that he's uh, rightly dividing the word. Amen. Amen. You need that. You need, you need the word of God. Matthew 16, let's read verse 13 down to verse 18. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, his ask, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, and others Jeremiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He nailed it, didn't he? He nailed it. Now, Peter doesn't always nail it. In fact, if you read further on in the chapter, when Jesus began to set his mind and his face toward Jerusalem, and he tells them that he has to go up to Jerusalem and be crucified and killed and raised again, Peter says, that's not going to happen. And so Jesus says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. He calls him calls him a, a devil. He said, you're a hinderer. Peter, you don't, you don't know it all. But Peter nails it right here. He says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonas, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why you should love your church. God bless you, you may be seated. Chapter 16 of the book of Matthew begins as many of the chapters of the Gospels begin, it begins with Jesus in a confrontation with the religious leaders of Israel. It seems as though probably the last half of his three and a half year ministry were filled with days like this, confrontation. The, Israel, the leaders of Israel came and says, we want to see a sign from you and Jesus tells them, well, you, you know how 
to predict the weather, and I don't have to give you a sign. So he doesn't give them that sign. And so after he's finished with his confrontation, he leaves with his disciples who had forgotten to take bread on their journey with them. So in the midst of their arrival, Jesus makes a statement about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Verse 7, And, and they reasoned, the disciples reasoned among themselves. Oh, I know why he said this. We didn't bring bread with us. Verse 8, but when Jesus perceived, he, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do you not understand, yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? The seven loaves and the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to, your, to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? And then in verse number 12, they go, oh, now we understand. He's not talking about bread for the belly. He's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So then in verse 13, they arrive at Caesarea Philippi, and, and Jesus asked them this question that seems almost unrelated to anything that's going on at this particular point. But I think it is related because in verse number 6 he says, O ye of little faith, you don't understand. So he says to them, I, I want to know what men say, who men say that I am. And they said, well, some say that you are... John the Baptist risen from the dead, or John, some say that you are Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus looks right at them and says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives his wonderful testimony in verse number 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What an amazing answer. He got it right, didn't he? He got it right. Yet, and, and listen, the day may come, and I don't know this in your life, but the day may come when somebody asks you, well, who is this Jesus that you talk about? I hope you can respond like Peter did and give the right answer as to who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He is the Son of God. We heard that in John chapter 1 today in the message this morning, how that Jesus wasn't just a good man, that he was God in the flesh. And he dwelled among us. That means that he tabernacled. He lived right here among us. And that's who Jesus was. So Jesus then goes on in verse 17 to verse number 19. And he talks about the church. And he tells Peter that he would build the one. He would be the one that would build his church. And I'll, I'll make some comments on that here in a little bit. So when we talk about the church... We're talking about the local church. Now, there's a lot of debate today about what the, the word church means. And, you know, there are those that have the idea that it's a universal, invisible 
um, saying, but yet I, I, 110 times or so the word church is used. And majority of that time, the word ecclesia is used. And in majority of that time, it's used in the context of a local New Testament, not invisible, but a visible body of believers. Paul wrote many of the epistles that he wrote to local churches or groups of local churches. So Jesus tells Peter, well, I will build my church. So it brings us to this thought. How much should we love the church that Jesus started? Or maybe this, a better way to say that, why should we love the local church? Why should you love Eastside Baptist Church? Now, I, I pastored for 20 years and 10 years in Texas and almost about 10 years in, in the state of Wyoming. And uh, I often wondered, I, you know, pa- preachers have weird thoughts, you know. I often wondered how many of the people that walked in the doors of you went to Bible Baptist Church in Evanston, Wyoming, if they ever, when they left to go home on Sunday or after Wednesday night service, if they ever gave the church another thought? Did they ever think about the church? Did they, did they ever stop and just pray for their pastor? Or did they ever think, well, maybe I should call the preacher and see if there's something that needs to be done around the church. So why do we need to love our church? Now, I'm a member of Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City, and, and on any given Sunday, we'll have 1,800, including all the students that are there for Heartland Baptist Bible College. And so I, I, I need to ask myself, why, why do I need to love Southwest Baptist Church? Isn't that a legitimate question for you? Why should you love Eastside Baptist Church? I'll give you three reasons. They all start with the letter F, so it's alliterated. Okay? Number one, you ought to love the church because of its founder. He said, who's the founder? Look at verse 18. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, there are those that would say that Peter is the rock upon which Jesus built the church. I, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Because Peter means pebble. When he talks about the rock, he's talking about a massive stone. We could go to the book of Daniel. Remember the vision that Daniel, that Nebuchadnezzar had? He saw a, a massive rock come down out of a mountain and destroy the image that, that he saw in his dream. That's... That's Jesus. And Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, I'm not here to to try to uh, tear up anybody. I'm just here to say that there are those that teach that Peter was the first pope. He never made it to Rome. And besides all that, he had a wife. Right? He wasn't the first pope. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus says, Peter, you're a pebble, I'm the rock, and I will build my church. He is the rock upon which the church is built. Jesus is the rock upon which that church is built. Here's how how Paul states it. 
We're not going to turn there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man who? Christ Jesus. I, I, I'm here to say today that Mary is not the intercessor. Jesus Christ is the church of the, of the, the rock upon which the church is built. He's the one that Peter, listen, when, when, when Jesus looks straight at his, his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, oh, I know, I know, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. He is the one upon which the church is built. He says, I will build my church. But by the way, th this is not your church. It's his church. Do you know that? Well, I was taking some bus kids home one time. I was pastoring in, in uh, Abilene. We had a, Abilene, Texas, had a vacation Bible school. I was driving a bus. And a little girl comes up after she's getting off the bus and says, do you own this church? I said, nope, they just let me work here. <laughs> it's not my church. They just said, it's not Jason Jett's church. It's God's church. It doesn't belong to anybody. It belongs to him. I will build my church. He is the one to whom the church belongs. He is the one who preserves the church. Notice what he says in the last part of verse 18. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the idea, I thought this is interesting, a commentary that I read, the word gates there carries the idea of a place where, a place of authority where men met to, de to declare and to deliber uh, deliberate. It, it implies a place of power and a place of authority. D do you know what Jesus is saying? This gates would also imply that hell would be, listen, that hell's on the defense. And the church is supposed to be on the offense. That we're to be the ones that are to be the aggressive. We're not, we listen, we defend the faith by, our, by the things that we say, but we are to be on the, on the offense. We are to be charging hell, if you please. We are to be the ones that are, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. He's the one that gives the authority. To the church and in verse number 19 he says and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth hey hey listen if you have the keys you have the authority don't you I have the keys to my car I have the authority to drive it well I should say myself in the bank <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm paying it off. Two more payments and my car's paid off. I'm so tempted to go out and buy another one. But I, you know, i got to, you know, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, it looks good back here, too, you know, that type of thing. But, you know, and, but if you have the keys, listen, you have the keys to the building, you have some authority, don't you? So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm giving you this authority. You have the gates of hell shall not prevail. And I'm giving you the authority to the local church. Not to Peter alone. So we ought to love the church because of its founder. Number two, we ought to love the church because of its function. Matthew 28 gives us the function, doesn't it? What is the function of the church? Well, let's talk about what it's not. 
Number one, it's not to bring all religions under the umbrella of Christianity. Now, it's not a bad thing. If, now, years ago, they used to have this thing called Promise Keepers Movement where men would get together and, you know, they'd get into a football stadium, 70,000, 80,000 men would come together. And, and, it, and it had a, somewhat of a pure motive in that they brought all these men together to spend time worshiping and loving Jesus. Now, it sounds good on the surface, but as, as you begin to examine those ecumenical-type meetings that bring to all peoples together, you would find that they had Catholic people that came. Uh, they had Mormons that came. Now, I have a real contention with that. I pastored in a town that was 80% Mormon. And, and, and the Mormons, well, their Jesus is different than the Jesus that you and I talk about. Did you know that they believed that Jesus and Satan were spirit brothers? And that God basically cast a lot and Satan wasn't chosen to die on the cross? Oh, by the way, they don't have crosses on their buildings because the cross to a Mormon is a shame. But the preaching of the cross to you and I is it's power. But they're Jesus and... Satan were, were spirit brothers, and because Satan wasn't chosen to die, he rebelled against God. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Can I quote what your pastor did this morning? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh, by the way, JWs, I'm just picking on everybody today. Their Bible says, was a God. No, 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 no. He was God. Amen. When God said, let us make man in our image, who do you think he was talking to? Brigham Young? He's talking to God the, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Right. Oh, well. So anyway, they brought all these men together to worship Jesus, and they said, we don't worry about doctrine. Well, I have a problem with that. Because somewhere along the line, somebody's going to have to talk about Bible doctrine. Because you can't talk about Jesus and not talk about Bible doctrine. Can you? You can't do that. You can't do that. Because somewhere along the line, somebody's going to say, well, now, wait a minute. I don't believe that Jesus died for my sake. Or, the, again, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody, but the Roman Catholic believes that Mary's our intercessor and not Jesus. So it's not to bring people under an umbrella of Christianity the prevailing philosophy of ecumenical movement today is to bring Christianity together in spite of doctrinal differences. Their mantra is, let's get together and just worship Jesus and forget about doctrine. It's impossible to do. Because somewhere along the line, somebody's going to have to say that Jesus is God. And I've been listening to your pastor preach out of 1 John Nailing it on this, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you're not saved. He's God. I, I, I love this. Jesus and Pilate are having a conversation about truth. And Pilate, finally, Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus could have gone like this. I'm truth. Because he was truth. 
Philip said, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus looks at Philip and says, I've been with you all this time and you don't know who I am. If you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. So it's the function of the church, number one, is, is not to bring all religion under an umbrella of Christianity. Number two, it's not to bring social equality and feed the hungry or heal diseases, though those are noble things. I'm not saying those are not noble things, but the function of the church is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Number one, to get people saved through the preaching of the gospel. That's it. That's the first function of the church. To bring people to a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and to accept Him as their personal Savior. Had a gentleman baptized today. You know why? Not to get him into heaven. You, you need to get that. And I appreciate the fact your pastor added that at the end. He, he got baptized today because he's going to heaven. It's an outward expression of an inward faith. You read it, read it in Acts chapter 8. Philip is there with the Ethiopian eunuch and said, well, here's much water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And some of your old uh, other off-brand Bibles lay out the next verse. If thou believest, thou mayest. You remember his response? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So he got out of the the chariot, and he baptized him. Why? To get him into heaven? No, because he made a profession of faith of who Jesus was. So to get people saved, that's the first function of the church. Number two, well, I kind of already tromped on that one, but to get people baptized. Get people baptized. A public example of of an inward faith. The only mode of baptism is immersion. What does it picture? Somebody tell me. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Somebody dies, they don't dig a hole in the ground and leave an arm sticking up out out in the air like that. What do they do? Huh? They put them all the way under. They don't leave a foot sticking up in the air. Wouldn't that look weird? You arrive by a cemetery and there's somebody with their hand sticking up out of the grave holding one of their own flowers right there. So well, that's silly. That's exactly what that's exactly what I'm trying to point. I want to make you 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 put them under. The only legitimate mode of baptism is immersion. Both of them went down into the water. The only proper candidate of baptism is the one who's been born again through a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And the only proper authority is the local church. My sons would remember this, especially Jason. We had a family that visited our church, had a, a father and a mother and uh, two sons. And uh, In fact, he knew, he knew the boys. In fact, one of them committed suicide not too long after we left Evanston. But they started coming, and they were giving. My, my treasurer came to me one day, and he said, Man, they're, they're giving money to the church. They weren't members yet. And so they left one Sunday or walking out, they said, we want you to come by and talk to us about joining the church. And, and I knew a little bit about their church background and so I went to visit with them and, and we sat down with them and the dad and the two boys had both gotten sprinkled 
So they had no problem with getting immersed. But then I began to talk with the mother, and the mother said, well, I got baptized by an Assembly of God uh, evangelist. And you know what I had to tell her next? Your baptism isn't scriptural baptism. Because the only baptism that we can accept is through the local church. So she started crying, and they never came back. We had a couple in our church at Southwest that got baptized in the Jordan River. Where, 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 by the way, Jesus got baptized in the Jordan River. There might even be, still be water molecules in the, in the water that was, you know, there when Jesus was there. I, I don't know that. But when our pastor sat down with them, they were willing to accept scriptural baptism. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow for some people. But what we're talking about, we're talking about the purity. Where, where do you draw the line, right? Where do you draw the line if you yield in that regard? So the, the, the only proper authority is the local church. And then he says this. All right, so you get people saved, you get them baptized, then you disciple them. He says, making disciples, teaching them to observe all things, it's making disciples. Now, many of you here today, now, uh, just uh, I got saved when I was nine years old. And uh, so I'm 66, okay? I'm 66. So I got saved when I was nine. I don't teach math at Heartland. So how many years is that? 57 years. Man, that's quick. Are you CPA or CPR or? 57 years. I've been saved longer than men, many of you have been alive. 57 years I got saved. 57. Now, I have to say that some of those years, well, I wasn't right with the Lord. I got away from God. But it came to that time in my life where I needed, because God called me to preach when I was 10. Saved at 9 called to preach at 10. You say, well, how in the world can a 10-year-old boy know anything about God? Well, I'm saved just like you are. God called me to preach at 10. But I had to come to a place in my life where I made the decision, I, I got to do something about this. This is a call. I, you know, you sit around a bunch of five-year-olds. What are you going to be when you grow up? You, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a police policeman. I, I want to be law enforcement. And you don't hear very many little five-year-olds say, I want to be a preacher of the gospel. <laughs> Just don't, they don't do that very much. You know why? It's not me choosing, it's God's calling. But I had to make a decision that I needed to be discipled. I went to Bible college, and again, I got saved when I was nine for about, about seven years. I was out of church I didn't know anything when I went to Bible college. So we listen to you preach, you still don't know anything. Okay, that's, that's not the point I want to make. I didn't even know how to spell Israel. I spelled it I-S-R-E-A-L. Somebody's going, isn't that right? <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you how undiscipled and young I was in the Lord 
when I, when, I, when I got to Bible college, I knew I needed to tithe, and I knew I needed to give to missions. I don't know if I even told my wife this. So I started giving half of my tithe to tithe and the rest of it to missions. And then we had our Faith Promise Conference, and I went, eh? that's not the way to do it. The tithe's the tithe. The, the missions is over and above the tithe. I can't raise my right arm very high. Over and above the tithe. So I learned. You know how that happened? I decided I needed to get discipled. Somebody had to train me. Somebody had to take the Bible. I had to start reading the Word of God every day. I've been, I've been in ministry a long time. You know what I did when I got up this morning? I made me a cup of coffee. This is my regimen every day. Coffee. And more coffee. But then I went down and opened up my Bible and I read the Bible. You know why I did that? Because it's just as important for me as it is for you. Get people discipled. Make them a follower. Of the church. So, number one, we ought to love the church because of its founder. Number two, we ought to love the church because of its function. Number three, we ought to love the church because it's a family. Amen. I love my family. I do. I, I, lo- I love my children. You know, there's, there's not a lot of parents in the world that can say that their children are faithful serving the Lord. I love my family. Family is the foundation of the local church. Amen. You know what? You know the reason why I heard read this somewhere. The reason why we have weak churches is because we have weak families. You have a strong family, you'll have a strong church. Family. It's foundation. By the way, God established three institutions. Very first one was what? Anybody know? What's the first foundation? What's the first uh, institution God established? Marriage, family, a husband and wife joined together, becoming one flesh. I don't understand all of that. I recently heard about a couple that had been married for over 60 years. One of them died within a matter of two days. The other person died. You know why? Part of that one died. One flesh. Raised children. The foundation of the church is the family. Many of you, when I was pastoring there in Evanston, we had a lot of oil-filled workers. Many of them were, you know, a long way from their family. We moved to Evanston, Wyoming. We didn't have any family. We just had our Our first Sunday there, we had 16, and five of those were our family. And the only family that we had all that time we were in Evanston was our church family. Just something about a church family. You got responsibilities. Dad, you know what? I appreciated the fact your pastor mentioned this this morning, how what a great responsibility you have, fathers, as being the the spiritual leader of your home? Godly women want their husbands to lead. They don't want to lead the family. They don't want to make those decisions, those spiritual decisions. 
Dad, you're to love your wife. Even as Christ loved the church, you know what that means? That he was willing to die for his church. We had it set up in our home. We have an alarm in our home. and So we had a plan that if the alarm ever went off in the middle of the night, Josh will remember this. I told him, I said, Josh, you come into our room. You open up the gun cabinet. I had three double-aught buck cartridges, you know, shotgun shells, lined up right next to each other. Grab the 870 out of it. You come in, chamber around, and you stay in the room with your mother. You remember that? So one night, the alarm goes off. So Josh comes running in, does what he's supposed to do, grabs that shotgun, chambers that round, and I go through the house, I grab my handgun, and I'm going through the house around every corner. <laughs> Just like that. And I'm praying, please, Lord, don't let there be anybody in this house. You know, but, but when I grab the gun, you know, like, like that, you know, figured if he hears that sound, maybe it'll scare him out. But. So finally we realized it was a false alarm. So I said, all clear, all clear. And so anyway, I'd reach up to eject the magazine. And when I did, guess what? There wasn't a magazine in it. If there would have been a bad guy in the house, I'd have gone, click. Ah! <laughs> so uh, now the point of that is this. I was willing to take a bullet. I was willing to die to protect my family. Did you know what? Jesus was willing to die for you. That's what he means when he says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Each member and each member of the family has a responsibility and a role in the church. Let me give you some practical helps for involvement in the church family. My son didn't tell me to preach this, so I know I take a risk here. Number one, get involved in a ministry. Find something to do. Find something to do. Again, Southwest Baptist Church, 1,800 people. They are making an appeal all the time. You would think that a church that big, there would never be an empty spot for somebody to work. We're always looking for work. Always looking for so find find a ministry to get involved in, even if it's taking care, helping out in the nursery. That's an important ministry. Find a ministry to get involved in. Number two, give your offerings, give your tithe. You know the electric company in this bu- this building's beautiful, but the electric com- company doesn't understand faith. Give your offerings. Give your tithe. You might, okay, can I help you today? You might as well give it to God because he's going to get it somehow or another. It might be in a transmission laying out in the driveway tomorrow morning. But rather than take a risk of that, give it to the Lord. Give your tithe. Give your an offering. My wife and I at the beginning of 2019 decided to kind of restructure things a little bit. And so we really stepped out by faith and given our missions. And every month, every month, Hadn't he? He's shown himself true. He's given us exactly what we needed in addition every month. Put him to the test. 
He'll show himself faithful. Pray for your pastor. He didn't ask me to say that. But again, I was a pastor for 20 years. I, I, I love getting a little note from somebody who said, Preacher, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you today. Pray for him. He needs it. I know his kids. I was going to say his wife, but his wife is sweet. These grandkids, oh. Pray for him. He needs it. And then number four, love your church. After all, Jesus did. God's given you and I a wonderful privilege to be part of two great institutions, the home and the local church. And Jesus has done everything he can to sustain both of those. We should love both. Jesus does and Jesus did. So here's a couple of questions and I'm done. Number one, are you part of this family? So how do you be a part of this family? Trust Jesus as your personal Savior. Number two, are you part of His family? Are you a child of God? Number two, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know Him? And then lastly, are you involved? Your church needs you. You ought to love your church. It's a good thing to have a love your church offer. How much do you love your church? Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.